Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we celebrate the spontaneous story slammers from last season with part one of our annual story competition, Slammer of the Year, Battle of the Bands. We broke our favorite storytellers from the season into two groups, and in this episode, we showcase five storytellers coached by Patty O'Hara, who banded together as Slam Punk Five. Each storyteller chose a song to inspire a story. Recorded live at the Outdoor Amphitheater at Jump in downtown Boise, they are Amos Rosting, Patty Bowen, Sonia Feibert, Sarah John, and Annika Bennett. It's story time. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Amos Rothstein. Wow, it's so good to see so many of you off the dating apps and in real life. This is very exciting. You're all so pretty. So I grew up just south of Portland in a very LDS neighborhood. And when you are a Jew growing up in a very LDS neighborhood, you very much connect with the other non-Jews. So my best friend was a Greek Orthodox, including his whole family, they all were. Um, And my song that I picked tonight was Sheryl Crow's All I Wanna Do Is Have Some Fun. Now my family had no traditions. Uh, His had every tradition. Uh, And one of the few things that we had in common was the weird affinity and Pavlovian response to All I Wanna Do Is Have Some Fun. When it came on the radio, everything would stop in the house. All the noise of the TV and the family would quiet down and we'd dance, and if we were driving, we'd pull over to a parking lot and we'd dance. And no one would acknowledge this afterward, but we'd get back in the car or go back to whatever we were doing and keep moving on. Never talked about. His family, oddly enough, had the same tradition with the same song. He lived four houses down. Now, Gabriel Egley was, um, was my best friend in elementary school. And then in middle school, we got a little bit more distant. In high school, even a little bit more distant, we went to different schools. And by college, by 2010, we just didn't have any relationship at all. And a few years ago, it was 2019, I was filling out a form on October 17th. It was his birthday. And I remember that because we used to make a lot of fake email addresses to prank people with their own name. And every time we'd fill out a new application for an email address, he'd use his real birthday, October 17th. And I thought, what the hell is Gabriel Egley up to? And I looked... Furiously, I spent an entire paid work day looking on Facebook, <laughs> through criminal records, through white pages to find where he was. Couldn't find anything. Couldn't find his mother, his sister. I knew his, his father had passed away. And it was inc- incredibly frustrating. He moved out of the neighborhood, and I kept thinking of which Mormon family I could call to find out who's still in touch with the Eggleys, to know what they're up to. And I went through the Rolodex, and I couldn't think of any. And at the time, I was living in Los Angeles, far from home. And about two weeks go by, and I just have to decide to give up. And I was um, going to work to catch the bus, and I was the only person in Los Angeles County who took the bus. So I had to be there on time or I'd keep driving. And I was running to the elevator. I get in the elevator, and I see a woman that looks extremely familiar, and I pause, and I'm like, where do I know her from? And I get on the bus, and I think about it all day, and I get back later that night, and I um, come back to my mailboxes at my apartment building, and I see on the ground three packages addressed to his sister's name. This is hundreds of miles from home. After weeks of trying to find the entire family, I found the sister. Not only in my building, we shared a wall. 
She was in the apartment next to me for months. And so I called on my friends. I was like, what is the least creepy way to get her attention and ask her to tell me about what happened to her brother? And I said, a note, don't knock, do a note. I wrote a note. The next day it's Halloween. I put the note on the door and I missed most of a Halloween party to wait for this note to disappear from the door and then the eventual knock. I thought she'd be thrilled. No knock, no call. Weeks go by. I saw her three more times. I called out her name. She didn't turn around. It was very weird <laughs> and very startling. And I found out Gabriel had not been doing so well. Uh, the mother passed away. He had a lot of trouble with drugs and heroin, as a lot of people growing up in Portland ended up doing. And he had a lot of mental health problems. And I could understand why she wouldn't want to talk about it. And I respected her decision to not talk to me, as frustrating as it was. But it seemed so weird to come so full circle and not have any answers at all for so long. And a few days before I left Los Angeles to move to Boise, I saw her one last time. And I didn't decide to call her name. We made eye contact, we nodded, and we moved on. And the next day, I had two days left, and I kept thinking about Gabriel. And the chorus of that song is, I want to party until the sun comes up over Santa Monica Boulevard. And I was on Santa Monica Boulevard hearing those lyrics, and I just had a weird feeling that whatever happens, I think he's going to be okay. Thank you. Patty Bowen. Um, so in the summer or in the winter of my 26th year on this earth, I decided it would be a really good idea um, mutually uh, to end things with a person that I was in a four-year relationship with. Um, it was the middle of COVID. Everything was very turbulent. And I was like, now is the time. Um, and so I move in back uh, with my parents, uh, visit some family across the continent. And I come back and I decide, okay, let's get on some dating apps. Um, and so I decided I hadn't been single for most of my 20s and so I decided to set a very high bar for anyone that I was going to date from these dating apps. I decided I only deserve someone that thinks I'm physically attractive. That's, that's the high bar that I'm setting for myself. Um, and so the first guy that matches with me has no words on his profile at all, um, but I know two things about him. I know one, that he looks like a Boy Scout, which is absolutely my type. Um, and I know that he's a conservative because he's wearing bootcut jeans in all of his photos. So I'm like, great, let's go. Um, and so we go to get tacos um, and he starts off the date very strong uh, by asking me when I thought the earth was founded and then immediately telling me I am wrong about that because he learned from a podcast that scientists can't be trusted. Um, and so I'm like, this guy can't see him again. But then I watch him and he gets onto his motorcycle and I'm like, okay, second date, motorcycle, that's pretty hot, let's do it. And so the second day, he shows up in his truck um, to the park where we're having the picnic, um, and he shares with me that very recently, the love of his life, the woman he was planning on having kids with, uh, passed away. And when I say recently, I mean within the last two weeks, this woman has passed away, and I was like, 
that's really soon. So I decided to let this guy go do his own thing. And I'm, I'm grooving, um, I find an apartment to move into, I've got everything there, but I realize there's one thing I can't move in my tiny 1998 Honda Civic, and that is my bed. And all my friends who are progressives, they don't have trucks. And I'm like, wait a minute, that guy, he has a truck. So I call him up and he says, yes, absolutely, I will help you move your stuff. And so we, we go over to my parents' house where the bed is, and this is the first guy that my mom has uh, seen me with since the person she thought I was going to marry. And so my mom runs out and brings out her calendar app and she's immediately inviting him to family adventures. She's talking to him about how much he's gonna fit into the family. And I'm like, oh no, this is terrible. So I, I drag him into my mom's uh, garden and I'm showing him it around and at the edge of the garden you can kind of see my mom's chickens and I'm like, do you want to meet the chickens? And he says, yes, absolutely I do. And so um, one thing you should know about all these chickens is they're all named after the matriarchs of my family. So there's great grandma Lala and there's great aunt Evelyn and so I pick up great grand Lala um, the chicken and I, I'm, I'm holding it and he's looking at it and I'm like do you want to hold this chicken and he says absolutely I do so I give him the chicken and he says what do you do with these chickens when they stop laying eggs and I'm like oh I don't know we leave him around and he's like well home raised chickens are the most delicious chickens and I, I look this chicken in the eye I'm like is he gonna eat my great-grandma like <laughs> What? Um, and so at this time, my mom comes out and asks him if he wants any fresh eggs, and he says yes. And so I follow her and uh, him into the kitchen. Um, and my stepdad and I are kind of looking at each other because my stepdad's in the kitchen, and my stepdad's like, kind of, you know, ooh, this guy's kind of hot. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of is hot. Um, and he asks me for a glass, and I'm like, oh, of course, assuming that he needs a glass of water. And in front of my stepdad, he takes one of these fresh eggs and he cracks it open into the glass and he drinks it straight. And and I look my stepdad in the eye, and he looks me in the eye, and we telepathically have this communication like, did this guy kill his last girlfriend? And is he gonna kill me? And that's why you should never go on a date with the egg man. It's Sonia Feibert for Slam Punk Five. I've often wondered why my parents left Brazil. It's where my dad grew up, and it's where we spent the first two years of my life. I imagine if we'd stayed, I'd be a more tan, Portuguese-speaking, married-to-Brazilian-soccer-player version of myself. <laughs> I mean, it's paradise. <laughs> At least, that's how I felt when I was 14, visiting with my family, my parents, and my two sisters. We'd been invited by my rich uncle, who was not so great at business, but was good at embezzling. <laughs> we spent our days on his yacht, exploring the islands in this beautiful area he lived on Gradosais, south of Rio, going back to his beach house to swim in the pool, eat churrasca, drink guaraná, eat papaya, and for New Year's, we got all dressed up in white. I borrowed a dress from my grandma. My sister borrowed a dress from my other sister. Actually, forced to give the dress to my sister is a better way, to more accurate way to put that. Uh, we were not great at sharing, but really good at making each other feel guilty when we did. So Isabel's words to Layla were, 
do not get it dirty. So we're dressed up, we walk down to the beach. It's my parents, my sisters, and my aunt and my cousin. And there's palm trees and we walk through them to get to the sand. And pretty soon there's gold and red and blue bursting through the sky. Fireworks that are being shot off from this barge in the ocean, brighter than the moon, as Katy Perry says in her song. And we're taking this all in, and then we kind of notice some other lights going off, a little bit fainter. Someone is shooting off fireworks on the beach. And we're taking this all in, and then I realize the smell, that sulfur, that gunpowder smell, is closer. And I grab my sister Isabel's hand, and not only is the sound closer, the lights are closer. And the fireworks that have been shot off from the beach are someone is miscalculated and are now being shot into the beach, into the crowd. And I go with my first instinct and I grab Azula's hand and run back to the palm trees to that safety. And it's just chaos. The oohs and ahs of the crowd turn into screams and yells. And somehow in all of that, I find my parents, but we don't know where my youngest sister Layla is. And we're searching for her at this point. Someone has gotten the fireworks on the beach under control. There's a little less chaos, and we see my sister coming out of the water. And she is completely fine, but her dress, or actually Isabel's dress, is shredded. My aunt had seen sparks going and pushed Layla into the water. She was fine, but my cousin wasn't so lucky. She had been hit in the leg, and we'd later find out her leg was fractured by a firework. The adults were so angry. My aunt was livid. We were not great at expressing our emotions, but really good at being mad. There was talk of beating up the security guards who were supposed to keep everyone safe on the beach. And as we walked back to my uncle's house, we were shaking and shocked and describing this all to my grandma, who's livid and agrees that we should probably beat up the security guards. And I think I kind of get why my parents left. Like, they wanted to let their kids shine, kind of like a firework when it's a safe distance from people. Thank you. Sarah John was wearing the shoes of a believer. Here she is now for Slam Punk 5. I am a big fan of John Mayer's. I am such a big fan of his that when I heard Amos's story, immediately what I thought is his friend and John are born one day apart. John's birthday is October 16th, 1977, and any fan of his would know that. John released a song not too long ago called New Light, and a lot of the lyrics in New Light speak to me, which I'm going to share with you. Several years ago, my really beautiful friend Lisa and I were sitting at Red Feather, and this handsome man walked in and he sat next to me. 
And as we started talking to him, we quickly learned that he doesn't live in Boise. He works in Boise and comes back and forth a lot. And Lisa made it very clear when she first met him that she is not available. She has a very hunky firefighter boyfriend who is now her husband. So we learned that about each other right off the bat. And he still chooses to continue to buy us drinks and food, which is very much the way to my heart. So we are enjoying conversation and food with him. And eventually, he asks me on a date. So we go on a date the very next day, and then we continue to see each other as he comes into Boise. And eventually we decide that we are going to take a trip together. So we book a trip to go to Park City, Utah. And um, the day before we leave, my mom calls me and she says, I have a feeling that he is married. And my friend Jimmy, who called the number earlier and requested new light. Um, I called him because he's a computer hacker who probably got in by somehow hacking the phone system. <laughs> and I called him and asked him, can you find out if Craig is married? And he said, like any good terrible friend would, just go and have fun and we'll figure it out later. So that's what I did, and um, I am really enjoying my trip in Park City. And we are eating delicious food and drinking great wine, and sometime on night two, he casually mentions his wife. And I know that I shouldn't have been shocked. I like know that. But I was, and he could tell I was, but he, his response was simply, I figured you knew and you were fine with the situation because you would have Googled my phone number. Ladies, this is not something that I knew that we were supposed to do. And so I was shocked and I decided, one, um, I can't do anything about it right now because I've been drinking, I can't leave. Two, I can't afford a hotel room at this hotel. And three, I'll think better tomorrow morning. So I'll wait until then. So in the morning, I get up and I go for a swim. And when I come back to the room, he acts like nothing has happened. He leans in, kisses me, and says, have a great day, babe. I'm going to work, which is, makes it clear how he could leave his wife to go on a trip with me. It's a work trip. But before he left, he laid out $20 bills across the counter. So I'm seeing everything in a whole new light. I'm seeing this guy in a whole new light. He is married. I'm seeing myself in a new light. I have a new profession. I'm a prostitute. <laughs> and I take a picture of the money and I send it to good, terrible friend Jimmy. And he tries to make me feel better, knowing that I feel absolutely terrible. And he says, nobody's ever given me $1,000. But the sad part of the story is that it wasn't even $1,000. It was just like a few hundred dollars, so I didn't feel any better. But I decided I would scoop up that money and leave, which is exactly what I did. And when I got back to Boise, I got a phone call from this guy, and he continued to explain, like, I thought that you knew. I thought that you would have Googled my phone number and you were comfortable with this. Friendship. 
So this is what takes me back to John's song. He sings, I'm the boy, girl in this case, in your other phone, lighting up inside your drawer at home, all alone, pushing 40 in the friend zone, which is not something I ever wanted to be. Thank you. Annika Bennett. Hi. My partner Carson and I, who's here somewhere out there I can't see, we went on our very first date to a story story night back in June 2021. And you know, in the first year of a relationship, you're kind of, you get into situations and you see how each person responds differently and that says a lot about who you are individually and also how compatible you are. So around the time of our one year anniversary, we decided that we were gonna go raft the Boise River. And despite having lived in Boise my whole life, that's something I've never done. And I was feeling very anxious about it because my parents used to be whitewater rafters and we have a lot of family that still are. And a couple years ago, we have a family member whose friend died on a, on a river rafting trip, despite being very skilled. So I know that even what people might call mellow waters can still be very dangerous. And we spent all afternoon getting ready for it. We had all our life jackets, all of our food, everything ready to go. And we're running back and forth to the car. And finally, we get to where we're renting our inflatable kayak raft. It's like a kayak, shaped like a kayak, but it's in a raft. I was too scared to get in a kayak and put my feet in. And so we, we finally get everything ready. And we set our raft down on the river. And we're both so excited to have this new experience together. And we start out. And I'm sitting in the back. And Carson's in the front. We each have a paddle. And we're, we're just going mellowly down the river. It's so lovely. And we hit the first rapid, and it's like a little mini roller coaster. It's so much fun. We're having a great time. And we're floating down the way, and, and we get to the second rapid. And he would probably disagree with this characterization of events, but in the moment, I said, don't steer us into the biggest part of the rapid. And he totally did. <laughs> And he, I'm like, left, left, and we're, and we're literally going into like the biggest part. And I'm like, oh my God, what's gonna happen? And we, we start going over it and immediately get stuck on the rapid in this inflatable kayak. So we're sitting there and I, I can feel that my butt is on a big rock and I'm just thinking, oh my God, the raft is going to pop. We're going to pop the raft and we're gonna die. And, and we're, we're just sticking our paddles down. We don't know what to do, so I'm sticking my oar into the water, and it's literally like a, like a suction. Like, the, the oar is getting sucked out of my hand in the rapid, and I'm freaking out, and like 30 seconds has gone by, and we're not making any progress, and we're scooting, and we're, we're trying to get out of the raft, and this paddleboarder goes by, and I say, what do we do? And he just is motioning us for, to, for us to put our oars down, and, and we're trying, but it's just not working. And, and then Carson starts trying to get out of the raft, and I said, get back in the effing raft. <laughs> And, and promptly lost my absolute S word. I don't want to say bad words, but I just absolutely lost it. And, and he was just tr trying to get out. And every time he would try to get out, I'd say, stay in the effing raft. And I swear we were only stuck for like maybe two minutes, but oh my God, it felt like eons. And I don't even know how we got unstuck. We just scooted and, and, and pushed with our oars and finally we get unstuck. And he's laughing and I, I burst into tears once we're on the mellow water and I say, next time don't steer us into the biggest part of the rapid. Oh, I'm just crying. And, and I picked the song Sweet Escape by Gwen Stefani because that was kind of our sweet escape moment. And, and the sweetest part was that he didn't care that I completely lost it. He was just like patting my leg and telling me it was okay and that we were totally fine and we were gonna have fun for the rest of the time. And we lived and wasn't that fun? Didn't you have fun? And I was like, I guess so. <laughs> 
and and that's why I chose the song Sweet Escape because I I was you know waiting to see how this, this experience would go and if we were going to respond well and even though I was the one that didn't respond well he was so forgiving of my bad behavior and I apologized profusely and I still feel really bad I'm sorry I will never do that again but we had our sweet escape and in the end we didn't even really need it because we were already so good together Thank you for listening. If you'd like to see the storytellers in addition to hearing them, this entire show is available on the Story Story Night YouTube channel. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, and our show sponsor, The Record Exchange. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. Have a story? Call the storyline at 208-917-1970 and leave a message. Please subscribe to Story Story Night on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. Find out how to participate in our live show at storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thank you for being a part of our story.